Hi, I'm Kat Holbrook, cook, lover of all things British and host of The Doorstep Kitchen. Welcome and thanks for tuning into this show which celebrates the best of British food and drink. Each week I'll be chatting to someone that inspires me by cooking or producing delicious things on our doorsteps. We'll also hear from our expert forager Imogen Davis on what delights you can find right now and I'll be sharing some of my favourite recipes which I hope will inspire you. Coming up in this episode, I'll talk through my recipe for a show-stopping rhubarb and elderflower pavlova and Imogen chats about wild strawberries. But first, I chat to British chef James Donnelly. So my guest today hails from Cambridge, but is known for his salad pop-ups in London. His food has been highly praised by restaurant critics such as Marina O'Glocklin from the Sunday Times. It's James Donnelly. Hi, James. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good, thank you. Um, enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so what have you been up to, well, during lockdown? During lockdown, um, I've been enjoying getting out into the garden. Um, it's been really nice. It's good to have some, some nice sunshine and, and good weather. And luckily, I've got a decent garden space. Um, but it's been some DIY, it's been some cooking um, and just generally keeping my head down and, and mm-hmm. enjoying some sleep. Yeah, because you are running two pop-ups at the moment, uh, two residencies. You've got one in Bermsey and one more recent one in Brixton um, at the Shrub and Shutter. So you've clearly been incredibly busy. Yeah. Um, Is is it almost nice to have a bit of a break or do you want to just get back into it? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, for the first couple of weeks, it was quite nice. I, I actually kind of just tried to to avoid any of the kitchen stuff for a couple of weeks because um, I've pretty much not not had any time in about 20 years to, to not think about kitchens. Yeah. Um, so it was quite nice to have a couple of weeks of, of actual respite. Um, but yeah, now, now we're sort of a few more weeks into it. I'm kind of desperate to get back into the kitchen now. Um, yeah, totally, I can imagine. And you said you've been doing some gardening. Have you been growing anything that you've been doing some testing with? Well, yeah, trying to grow things. We'll, we'll see whether I've got green fingers or not in, in a couple of months' time. I'm, hope, I'm hoping yeah. there's going to be some nice things to, to use in the kitchen. Um, but I've got some I've got some strawberries growing and, and oh, uh, some cherry tomatoes and lots of herbs and stuff. So I'm hoping it's, it's going to be things that I can actually take in and use use for a few days at least I've not I've not got quite that much garden space to make it worthwhile for the restaurant unfortunately yeah but at least you can hopefully grow a few things that could be garnishes on the dishes and yeah exactly yeah that'd be amazing um so I kind of feel like you're the king of pop-ups you've done one at the famous Sun of 13 Cantons in Soho you've done Louie Louie in Elephant and Castle yeah Bumsy Bar and Kitchen and now the one in Brixton what's been your best experience so far um, I mean, they've all been quite different, which is which is quite nice. That was sort of the whole the whole purpose of it was to to travel around London to see different spots of London and see sort of how how people react to it. Mm. Um, where sort of the, the Sun and Thirteen was, I mean, it's a very cool place, and and have followed some quite amazing names that that were that have done pop ups in there. What did you follow? As- Asma Khan, yeah. Asma Khan, yeah. Asma, um, amazing. And yeah, the Crab Shack guys are. I mean, there's some some really cool ones, um, and recently, more well, who went in after me was Budgie, um, 
Montoya. Yeah, Montoya. So mm-hmm. he's just opened his little his little um, shop in Brixton Market, um, which is very cool. Um, obviously, unfortunately, he'd only just just got going, and then we've had to shut, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. Um, but yes, the sun was very cool. But Bermondsey Bar and Kitchen, where we're at, we've been there for now for 14 months um so it's obviously working quite well for us and then we're enjoying it um but it's been quite nice having sort of the garden space where we can get out mm. and get the barbecue lit and stuff as well there whereas like the shrub and shutter as it's sort of cocktail bar um mm-hmm. it's been quite nice to do kind of the the real back to back to how we how i originated on it was sort of the small plate thing um down there it's it's really taken off like that which has been it's been a lot of fun and been able to play around a little bit with dishes there um, so the food is different um at both of the sites then yeah absolutely we've we've kind of for for the Bermondsey bar it's kind of more sort of bistro sort of style we've gone with um as i say it's kind of just sort of changing menus up to to what people are, are wanting in the area really mm. um whereas yeah the shrub we're doing it's, it's a little bit more quirky menu um so i'm sort of i've got had snails on the menu and stuff mm. with a with a piece of fish had skate wing and and snails and garlic butter on and pe- people seem to be lapping it up down there which was nice yeah i mean i love i personally love snails um yeah. <laughs> when i was younger and i was on holiday my dad ordered some garlic snails Delicious. and i didn't even think i knew what they were and i was just nicking them off his plate <laughs> yeah. and wasn't even phased but as a four-year-old wasn't even phased when he told me there were snails to try and stop me eating them <laughs> so yeah they're, they're really delicious i need to go and try that dish yeah um but your food is you know you're you're a british cook you cooked at the, the river cafe and tom's kitchen but your food is sort of modern british but i think it's almost a little bit un- unusual because i feel you you write your menu around your suppliers and i love it how on your menu it always tells the story of the suppliers on there whether it's hackney gelato or those amazing guys the pork farmers in gloucestershire do you think that's unusual to kind of have it flipped like that yeah, I think I think that was kind of sort of my the idea um, when I was well when I was working for other people. It was always for me. It was kind of trying to champion the producers a lot because um, we've got so many cool people here doing like growing and and um, supplying some amazing food that we're getting from our shores. It just seemed almost fitting that they should have a big say in what or a big part in my menus. Um, as you say, the guys, guys who where I get my pork and stuff from, Celtic Fish and Game down in down in St Ives, who I get amazing fish off Naomi and her and her sisters. It's kind of a whole big family run operation. It just seems my customers that come in should should hear about what they're doing and who these people are that are, that are supplying us these these great things. Yeah, totally. Are there any suppliers that you've worked with for years now that still have you on your menu and her kind of firm favourites? Yeah, I mean, Lake District Farmers, um, Dan and Russ. Mm-hmm. When I was at the Palmerston in East Dulwich, um, we started working with them. They were they were kind of just a butcher and the, and the salesman yeah. took over. And I mean, that was that must have been 12 years ago. Um, they're absolutely flying now, deliver to all big restaurants around London. And their their lamb and their beef is is second to none. And they're top guys as well, which makes <laughs> it makes it more enjoyable working with them. Oh, it's always good to work with nice people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and on your dishes as well, I've seen, I can't remember where it's from, but instead of 
you know, burrata or mozzarella from Italy, you have a sort of British version. And this is quite prominent throughout your menus. You have sort of sure. British versions of, I feel like, European ingredients. Um, yep. can, you, can, can you name a few of those and tell me about that? Yeah, so, I mean, it's um, this, this sort of comes as well. A lot of the cheeses and stuff, we use Montgomery Cheddar, um, who is making great cheddar, but he's also making Ogle Shield. That's sort of down in Glastonbury Way. Um, and the Ogle Shield is kind of like a raclette, basically. It's kind of that that soft, cooks well, goes gooey and delicious cheese. Um, and it was, um, Mr. Montgomery was, I was working the, one of the barmen at the Palmerston. It's his uncle, is Mr. Montgomery. So it's kind of all fitting that mm. we went down there. I took some of the chefs down as well with me and went and see him how he's making his cheese. And I mean, it's it's a perfect example of him where the Ogle Shield, he, he has 12 Jersey cows that are his um, and that's the only milk he uses for the Ogle Shield is from them 12 cows. Um, so it's basically however much milk is, he, mm. that's how much cheese he makes every day. Um, and it's just a nice way of doing it, knowing exactly where things are coming from. Um, and there's also the Blackwoods cheese, the two boys down there who are making Greyspurn, which is kind of like a feta, but it's it's used, they, they brine it, well, they marinate it in like a, in a English rapeseed oil okay. rather than in a salted brine. And it's just delicious. I mean, it's like, it's crazy that we're getting sort of feta and cheeses like this imported when we've got people making these amazing products here. Mm. Um, it just seems like we should be using it, especially sort of with all the Brexit stuff and that as well now. Yeah. I mean, it seems we should be using produce that we're making over here. Do you think people are more in touch with what's on their doorsteps and what is out there now rather than importing something like Parmesan? Um, you know, Neil's Yard have an amazing cheese called um, Burkeswell, which I think is quite similar. Yeah. Do you think people are more in touch with that now? Yeah, I think I think there's people are starting to look at it more. Um, I think now, obviously, obviously, with us not being in Europe, that people are going to have to look at it a bit more. I think because I think the European products are going to get more expensive. Yeah. Um, hopefully, hopefully, our ones won't go up in price as well too much. Um, but we'll see on that one. We won't go into politics too much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the Berks well, and these we're we're making these great cheeses that can rival the Parmesan and Pecorinos and and fetters and stuff. And yeah, I think people are starting to to notice it a little bit more. Um, I just think it might take a bit of time before a lot of people. Well, hopefully not everyone's going to be using them all in my case because there won't be any left for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Um, so, what are you cooking at the moment? Because um, I know you're obviously a very seasonal chef. Yeah. Um, what, what what kind of stuff have you been up to at home, and what have you been cooking? At home, I um, I've been cooking. So one of one of my butchers, uh, Bells and Sons, down in Bermondsey. Um, a good guy, Simon, down there. He's still working, so I've been getting some nice pork shoulder and bits off of him. And obviously, with this sunshine, getting that on the barbecue. Yeah. Um, and it's been nice to get some some English asparagus and Jersey Royals, which I've been getting delivered. Mm. Um, but yeah, also fish-wise, mackerel is really good at the moment. That's been I've been cooking a lot of that. Have you put that on the barbie as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. I've been getting the fire lit out the back as as much as possible. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Missing it slightly being at home, so it's uh, got to make the most of it. Absolutely. Um, how did you get into cooking then? Because um, so you've been a chef for how many years now? Uh, I think it's twenty one. <laughs> it makes makes me feel a bit old when I say that. <laughs> did you always think that you wanted to cook, or did you kind of fall into it? Yeah, I mean, it was I kind of fell into it. I finished school at sixteen, um, was going to go to college, and kind of decided that I probably wasn't going to enjoy doing the college bit so much. So started working, um, was helping out a little pub in Cambridge, the Rupert Brook. I was started off helping out while well, I was washing up pre- predominantly, um, but was helping out doing the Sunday roasts and stuff and just kind of realized that I was, I was enjoying it and, and was actually pretty good at it. Um, and it went from there really. And then, so I'd, I was in the three horseshoes in Cambridge or in Maddingley, um, which was, kind of seen as one of the best restaurants around that way uh, back then um, and doing one day a week at college and kind mm-hmm. of went from there really and moved up to London on just after my 18th birthday um, and and that's the history of it really it's yeah haven't looked back since yeah exactly um, and when did you work for Tom Aitkins then because he, he's obviously a you know British chef yeah. um, and all of his Tom's kitchens which are now closed yeah they just shut this year yeah because he's opened Muse which I really want to go to um, yeah. that, that was British so did you what did you learn from that experience yeah I mean that was very cool working with him um, he's he's a lovely guy and his his recipes are quite crazy um, he's, he's as there's a lot of effort goes into everything that he makes um, and it was yeah working there and working Richard O'Connell who was there who was the exec um, he was at the jugged hair and stuff beforehand so that was okay. all very predominantly English food as well um, it was really great working with them guys and met some good suppliers through them and just it was yeah just seeing the, the sort of the love for English food um, and Tom and Richard have both always done that it just sort of firmed up for me that that's exactly the way that I wanted to go with it really yeah and that was I think that was about six years ago I was down there at Kale Street Chelsea but it was a that was a crazy place <laughs> Was it really busy? It was very, very busy, yeah, constantly. Um, but it was an eye-opener to go and work there. And as I say, working, sort of doing, I think we did four or five menu changes and stuff with Tom. It's sort of quite inspiring to watch him work. Mm, um, yeah, I can imagine. You can see why why he's got to where he is. Um, but, yeah, it was it was fun and very tiring, that part of <laughs> Um So what do you love about British food? Um, I just at the moment I think we're we're pushing things a little bit in obviously the weather's changed slightly here we're we're kind of growing stuff now that that we couldn't grow I don't think 10 15 years ago and I just love it that we've got such a array of products that we get from our shores and from our farms that I mean the, the asparagus is potentially the best in in the world our jersey royals that we get are, I mean they're second to none having your jerseys peas and broad beans that we grow here are are fantastic once we're once we're really in season on things mm. the tomatoes from the isle of Wight. i mean the, the flavor on them matches what you'd get in italy easy peasy it matches it it's great 
Um, and like we, one of my producers, we're using um, Laura, who's down at the Wonky Parsnip. Little, she's got a tiny little farm down in Kent, and she's growing mm. some crazy things. She's, I mean, she's doing all the sort of Mexican veg. She's got tomatillos growing on her little farm down there, which which should grow in thirty degree heat mm. in Mexico and and Costa Rica and places like that. And she's growing it in Kent. Interesting. What have you been doing with tomatillos? Tomatillos, we've we've used a few things of. We're gonna when we get back in, we've made a nice salsa that we're gonna use mm. um, to go with one of the, with a nice piece of fish. Um, she's growing me lots of chilies and stuff this year, so the nice proper spicy chilies, some random ones that that we definitely wouldn't normally be growing here. Yeah. Um, she's got a greenhouse growing now for me with that and with lemongrass and stuff, so we can we can play around with some Thai things on the menu as well. Oh, cool. Um, and then I just want to talk about your kind of techniques for like elevating British food. I know you do a lot of pickling, which I think a lot of people are getting into uh, recently and ferments. And I personally, during lockdown, have been pickling everything that I possibly can. I got these jars in the fridge, um, pickled pink peppercorns and cucumber and carrot, um, wild garlic buds. What kind of yeah pickling do you do at Donnelly's? I was actually I was actually down at Bermondsey the other day just just checking through the fridges and stuff and we we did a lot of pickles and stuff just before we shut down because we thought it's kind of the time to get everything done mm. and then we've got sort of a backup supply for the whole year nice. of, yeah just nice things that you can use and and so obviously so from last year we've still got some of the tomatillos that we've put into pickles um, which I'm looking forward to trying them when we get back in um, we've been making some kimchi. Uh, obviously it was pretty much just before we shot it was kind of the the time of year where you've got cabbage pretty much is your was your option for the vegetables from around here yeah uh, so yeah we made some kimchi we've we made a brussels sprout kimchi we've um like we've done some ferments we've made some srirachas so kind of when we get back we're gonna have a a lot of exciting things that are pickled and fermented in there. <laughs> How do you make sriracha? I want to make my own. Sriracha is pretty much salt, garlic and chilli okay. and then let it and then sit it out somewhere warm pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Add, add some vinegar into it if you need to, but the idea is that your the chilies do their natural ferment and you get your you get your vinegary mm. your sort of acidity from from the actual chilies, which is amazing. Um, but that's ones we've had in so we've we've had them in bottles for about six months now, so I'm hoping they're going to be fantastic when we get back. Have you got lots lots of stock? There is a there's a fair few jars of things. You you, that, you could sell them. I'm sure you'd uh, get the locals interested. Yeah. Jazzing up jazzing up their food. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for all of that, James. It's so inspiring to chat to someone that's so passionate about British produce and who cooks exceptional food with it. I can't wait to come back to Donnelly's um, when you're open again. Can't wait to feed you again. Thanks for coming on, James. Have a good day. You too. It's a pleasure. I forgot to ask James my regular question of what is your favourite British seasonal ingredient right now. But I've caught up with him and he couldn't decide between rhubarb and elderflower, so I've made something to combine the two. It's my rhubarb and elderflower pavlova. This dessert serves eight and the elements can be made ahead of time and then you just need to assemble it to serve. 
First of all, you want to chop and roast five sticks of rhubarb with four tablespoons of elderflower cordial at 200 degrees C for 10 to 15 minutes so that the rhubarb is cooked through but it's still holding its shape. Remove and allow to cool and turn down the oven temperature to 140. Then make your meringue by whisking four egg whites to stiff peaks, then adding 225 grams of caster sugar, one teaspoon at a time until it's fully incorporated. Then mix in one teaspoon of corn flour and one teaspoon of elderflower vinegar, if you've made this. I've made it a few weeks ago and it's absolutely delicious. The recipe is up on doorstepkitchen.com. Or you can use one teaspoon of lemon juice or white wine vinegar instead of your elderflower vinegar. But it's important to put a bit of acidity into your meringue as this gives it the squishiness that you want in a pavlova. Then line two baking sheets and lightly brush with vegetable oil as you don't want your meringue to stick. Divide the meringue mixture into two equal circles and bake them for an hour and 15 minutes. When the time is up, just turn the oven off and leave them in there to cool as this will help stop excessive cracking. Then whip a pot of double cream to soft peaks and fold in four spoonfuls of natural yogurt and a couple of spoons of your rhubarb cooking juices. To serve, just ladle the cream mixture onto one pavlova and spoon on a third of the rhubarb then top with the next layer of meringue and spoon on the rest of the cream and rhubarb. You can visit doorstepkitchen.com slash recipes slash rhubarb for the full recipe. And I've also linked the exact page in the notes under this episode. Before we end today's episode, we'll hear from our expert forager, Imogen Davis. But this time, you'll also hear a little introduction from her niece, Florence. Look what we found in our walk today, wild strawberries. Hello everybody, this week is all about wild strawberries. Now wild strawberries are quite easy to identify. They look like smaller versions of your garden strawberry plants and they have recognisable white flowers with yellow stamens before growing their beautiful tasty red fruit, usually in around June time. Patches of wild strawberries can be found growing in grassy areas, woodlands or along paths and they like limestone and chalky soil. The wild strawberry plants that we see in the woodlands are native and they are often well camouflaged under the leaves. They are a considerable amount smaller than the ones we're used to seeing at pick your own farms and in the supermarkets but this absolutely doesn't reflect their flavour. They're super sweet and almost has like a vanillary flavour. They make up in taste what they lack in size for sure. As they're so teeny tiny, they do take a little bit of effort and dedication when picking. And personally, I think they're best enjoyed when just pop straight into your mouth as soon as you've picked them to enjoy their sweet flavour. Or if you'd like, you could always get into the Wimbledon spirit and serve them with cream as it would have been kicking off next week. If you don't manage to get out and look for the wild strawberries, a slightly easier fruit you can enjoy are the cherries that are in abundance. Don't expect them to grow quite to the size of the shop-bought ones, and if you wait for them to ripen too long, it's likely that the birds will beat you to them. They are quite sour, which I love, so again, just pick them and pop them straight into your mouth. Or, if you de-stone them, you can make them into a lovely fresh salsa and enjoy with some fish. That's what I did this week, and it was the perfect summer dish. Enjoy! Thank you, Imogen. Florence sounds like such a little foraging champ and I'm very jealous you both found wild strawberries too. That's all for this episode of The Doorstep Kitchen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please do rate, review and subscribe as it really makes a difference. Next week, I speak to Sam Britton, producer of Orkney Craft Vinegar, some of the best vinegar out there. 
Sam is loving gooseberries right now and is even experimenting with a gooseberry vinegar, so stay tuned for a seasonal gooseberry recipe. Imogen will be back, of course, this time with hogweed. See you next time.